I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We are two landscape designers that have been in the field for well over 25 years. He always emphasizes that, but okay. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, through this podcast, Digging Deep, we're going to bring to our knowledge, our challenges. Our foibles and our stories. Lots of stories. That's what I love, the stories. And anything that we can do to help you and your family create these wonderful outdoor environments. You know, I want to talk about uh, the drought. I mean, every, I mean, yes, everyone is aware that California is in a deep drought, but being aware of it and actually bringing it, bringing it home. I mean, really bringing it home are two different things. I've, um, I, I have this app that many people have called Nextdoor. Do you have that, Michael? No, I don't. Okay. Well, basically, um, people post what's happening in the neighborhood and, um, somebody just, posted the new California um, water restrictions and they are into law. So um, like 10 months ago, our governor, Gavin Newsom, um, called Californians to voluntarily cut their water consumption by 15%. But we were way far off. You know what we did? We did 4%. So what happens? So they make it a law. They adopted emergency regulations aimed at delivering the most drastic statewide cuts to address the drought thus far. The rules require local water agencies to reduce water up to 20% and prohibit prohibit any watering of ornamental lawns at businesses and other commercial properties, which, what the hell? Why do they need a lawn? You know, they have to water it. They have to hire crews to mow it. I mean, yeah, put an artificial turf. You know, I don't even like that because it's plastic, but still it's an alternative, you know? Absolutely. Or Carapia or Mayaporum or... Yeah. And so the feedback that I've been um, watching on this next door is people saying, you know, I love my grass, um, blah, blah, blah. This is a law. But here's here's the thing. When the water company is going to restrict your water by 20%, it will come down to your water use. Do you want to use it to water a lawn you do nothing on? Or do you want to use it to shower, to bathe, and to cook? Right? And to drink. <laughs> and to drink. Yeah, it's coming down to that. Yeah. You know, we have been in America um, so used to having what we want. We have space. We have, you know, all kinds of, um, you know, the natural resources that we use versus Europe, who have always, on some level, had to be careful, you know, with water, with um, their petrol, their uh, gas has always been high. We're you know, crying that it's five and six dollars and seven dollars a gallon. I'm crying too, mind you. However, Europe's been dealing with it for many, many years. Right. And their bottom line is, um, and you're right. I mean, in Europe, um, when I went to school there, we went and we went and looked at some of the most magnificent estates and they used recycled water. They took all the water, all the runoff and everything, and it was reused. And there are parts of Sacramento, um, El Dorado Hills, thank God, that are actually doing that. They're using recycled water, which makes sense. I mean, you're not going to use recycled water for cooking or for drinking, but for planting, it would make it makes a lot of sense. It does. So um, drinking water is called potable water. And when you use the recycled water in El Dorado Hills, Serrano's had it for many, many years. Um, it is filtered, but not to that quality of drinking water. So when a landscape goes in, 
Um, it has to be approved. You have to be approved to even design it and install it. But there are purple PVC pipes. And when you see purple PVC pipes, you know, let's say going to your hose bib, do not drink it. Right. It's it's non-potable. And it's interesting that you mentioned this topic. Well, two reasons. Number one is another story. Um, an old intern um, that used to, that um, interned under our company, she's down in Santa Barbara and she's doing designing there. And in Santa Barbara, which is part for those people that maybe not know California, um, they have heavy water restrictions. And the thing that's interesting is every landscape you do, you have to submit with the county or the city, depending on where you are in Santa Barbara, um, all of that water calcs. Low yep. water, they give you a certain amount, and then what plants you're using, whether they're high water use, low water use, but you have to submit all of those before you can actually do it. You can't just arbitrarily go and put that in. Well, Sacramento, um, and I know you've run into, you are starting to run into it. New construction now is demanding that in order to get a final permit to, in order for the homeowner to move in, they have to submit the same thing. They have to do water calcs and a list of plants, a low water, this and that. And um, if you're if you don't meet the requirement, they don't give you your your final um, permit for occupancy. Right. That right now, new construction, they not that doesn't apply to renovations or older homes. But you mark my words within the next, I would say, year to maybe three years, they're going to require that of, of anyone that's renovating their landscape. Right. I have um, one of the designers that works for me. She's been with me for 20 years. She's dealing with a client who um, is a homeowner up in El Dorado Hills. I think it's called Four Seasons. And um, she wants to not take out her grass, but reduce it and put in more water drought tolerant plants. Well, her HOA is picking up such a fuss. Oh, my God. I mean, just viciously. No, I bought this house because I like this, this just unbroken stream of green lawns. Well, this is what I'm talking about. This is what Michael and I are talking about. It might have been something that you bought the house for and you loved, but we don't have the water to support that anymore. Exactly. So those lawns are not going to be a green belt. They're going to be a yellow belt because you're not going to have the water. Brown belt. A brown belt, yeah. It's like karate. That's pretty high up there. But a yellow yeah. belt, <laughs> I'm not sure where you're going to get with that. But anyway, um, so... You know, to make the change is wonderful because you're at choice. To make the change now because you're forced to, you're going to grumble about it. But remember, this is where we live. This is our climate. This is what's going on with the drought. And the alternatives are so amazing. That's what Michael and I talk about all the time. You know, if you take out the lawn and you put in a, a beautiful meandering path and berms and boulders and river cobble and drought tolerant plants and trees it's way nicer than just a flat lawn don't you think and it's a lot less maintenance i mean the reality is is that and again what you were saying about the homeowners association we're running into that i mean um you know occasionally we you know we'll put in carapia you know in terms of the the plants that we recommend and the homeowner association says no we don't allow that it's too it's too hardy it's too invasive it's like yeah that's the whole point and it doesn't need a lot of water, you know, and, and some of the HOAs were were um, originated before there was a water crisis and they're so rigid that they won't change it and they won't recognize the fact that 
the the that's not sustainable. You can't keep sustaining these big areas of lawn. It's just not going to work anymore. And it's going to get to a point where, you know, if, if uh, people get too angry, you know, the uh, the um, com- the associations, I'm not, I'm not talking about the homeowner associations, I'm talking about the water bureaus, they're going to cut so much that they're going to get, they're going to just to make a point, tell you, you can't water at all. You can use your uh, watering can. And let me tell you that that's not very feasible. No, it's not very feasible. You know, speaking of karapia, and just to remind everybody, this is a broadleaf type of sod. It's originally Japanese, but it's been in our growing grounds for years now, probably 10 years. It takes 60% less water. And it happens to be on the drought-tolerant water list that's called Wolkols. It's W-U-L-C-O-L-S, and it's has to do with the low water. I don't know. It's an acronym for that. But um, Karapia is actually on that list. So if you want a lawn, and it is a lawn, you can mow it or not mow it. Right. That is your alternative, Karapia. Yes, it's more expensive, but once it's in, it's in. And you want something that's invasive because grass is too. Wherever there's any water, right. it's going to grow. And that's beautiful about it is it flowers. It's, it's really it's beautiful. Great. I love it. I love it too. I mean, there are so many alternatives and everything. I think, I think in addition to talking about this, we should give them in not only planting, like you just mentioned, you know, we were talking before we started the podcast that you just got mulch de- uh, delivered for your own landscape, which is a great idea. And um, why don't you talk a little about that and mention, you know, the benefits of a mulch. Yes. So I have, um, and for years, I have used this woman. Her name is Carol. I know she has a last name, but I call her Carol the compost lady. And um, she delivers um, a big pickup truck, which probably ends up being around four yards of composted manure uh, with wood shavings. It is beautiful stuff. And she requires $60 cash. Now, you can't even buy one yard. Well, you could buy a yard for just under $60. So here you've got four yards. And what um, the benefit, there's many benefits. First, I'll have it come in and you could use it, let's say, to replace your bark. You know, it looks beautiful. It, it looks like bark. It's redwood shavings. However, it's full of nitrogen because it's composted horse manure. So I usually pile like three or four inches all over my poor dry garden beds. They're dry in between, but I have drip irrigation. So everything looks lush, but still I could right now, the the ground is very hard. We've had no rain. And um, so mulching is a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. Now, Carol is in Sacramento. She's in Northern California, but I'm going to go ahead and give you her number. Carol, the compost lady is 916-291-9831. I'll say it again. 916-291-9831. This is pure, wonderful compost. You know, when you buy bags of it in the store, you're looking, you know, for the good stuff, $15 to $17 a bag, and that's two cubic yards. And cubic yards are very different than regular yards. So anyway, um, so mulching is one of the best things you could do. The very best thing you could do, which it's a late start now, but you could plant trees. And if you're in Sacramento, and I think maybe Los Angeles has it too, we have a tree foundation that will give you free trees. They're not big. They take time to grow, but it's the best way to mitigate the sun and the heat in your yard. 
And it, and the shade is wonderful. Another idea, you know, and and uh, I just bought myself. It was an early birthday gift for for myself. I um, I'm kind of fastidious in terms of keeping things clean. And a lot of people, you know, in their back patios and their yard, they take the hose and they wash everything down. That is a total and a complete waste right. of water. It's right. like water go down the drain. So I don't like that. And I don't like it because if you if you've got a lot of dust and you've got a lot of of um, you know leaves and dust and and um, spider webs and everything, it just clogs everything up. So what I do is I'm in love with my shop vac, and I just bought myself a brand new one, the biggest size I could find. And <laughs> the truth is, I vacuum my yard. I was before this podcast. That's what I was doing, trying out the brand new um, shop vac, and I got it. Oh my God, what a wonderful experience. You go out there and you vacuum, it sucks up the leaves, it sucks up the cobwebs, it gets rid of the dust, it gets rid of the dirt. And instead of wasting all this water, all you do is you suck it up and then you take, you empty it out and put it into your compostable area, you know, that eventually uh, breaks down. But what a great solution than having to stand there with your hose, wasting all that water. And I see people do that all the time, washing down their driveway, washing down their walkways, washing down their patios, and all that water just goes into the drain. Rather than doing that, get yourself a shop back. And I'll it's, tell you, satisfaction is amazing. Yeah, and Michael's not talking about your planting beds, because if you use a right. shop in your planting beds, you're going to suck up all the bark if you have it, exactly. any, you know, top dressing you have it, and any dirt. So he's talking about the harder surfaces, you know, where the leaves blow. And that's an right, the patio. And even if you've got if you've got a small a bit of synthetic lawn where the concrete or where your patio meets a synthetic lawn, it gets a lot of gunk there. And mm -hmm. you can just shop back it and it sucks out all that gunk. And it looks it looks absolutely great. And also and the only the reason I have synthetic lawn, I have to be honest with you. There are certain applications that it's perfect. And a lot of people say, yes, it's plastic. And after about 25 years, you, if it goes into the, the landfill, um, it, it doesn't break down. And, and I'm not dis disputing that. But what I have to tell you is I have two male dogs that when we moved into our house before we redid it, we had a small patch of lawn. It lasted one month. The lawn was dead. And not only was it dead, but they would roll in it, play in it, and it turned to mud, and then they'd bring it in the house. So for dogs, I didn't want more patio. I wanted a softer surface that the dogs could play on, go to the bathroom on, because it has holes in it. Um, I put in synthetic lawn, and let me tell you, it was the best thing I ever did, because they eat on it, they play on it, they roll on it, they run back and forth on it. There is no mud whatsoever. I don't have to water it. If it gets hot because people say, well, doesn't it, because it's plastic, doesn't it get hot? I have one sprinkler in it that I turn on for about a minute just to cool it down. And the thing that's neat about it is when I have that uh, big party, and once a year I have a big Halloween party, I needed more space for tables and chairs. I set up tables and chairs on the synthetic lawn. And it was great because people were standing on it. They were sitting on it. It was nice and comfortable. So in the right location, especially if if you have dogs, um, the synthetic lawn is a great solution. I'm not the one that's going to tell you to do it to your whole front yard, do it to your whole backyard. There are certain requirements, certain places where it makes sense. And as I said earlier, when you have animals, but 
no, I'm not a proponent of taking everything out and trying to cover it over with synthetic lawn. Well, it's expensive, first of all. And so, um, you know, you, you don't want to do an entire front yard. And, um, and if you have dogs and animals, it will need um, deodorizing every once in a while because yep. the dog pee and dog poop, um, you just need to do it. I just heard a story of this man and his wife. They, they put it in. They just loved it. Unfortunately, the, the space where they put it in was under the kitchen window. <laughs> so um, the smell was pretty bad. So they, he found a product, and there are many different products to use, and now it's not a problem. But keep that in mind. Right. And for those of you that are wondering what you would use, if you if you have a pet curl around you, it's called Nature's Miracle. It's an enzyme. It's not a chemical. You mix it with water. You use one of those sprayers. You spray it. And I literally, I'm not exaggerating, in one minute, literally one minute, the smell goes away. So if I'm going to have company um, or if I'm going to have a party, I just spray it out there. Uh, the other thing is vinegar and water. But it is so funny because... If you use that in a, less than a minute, the smell completely goes away and it's a great solution. And, and Roberta's right. If you don't do that, um, even though it drains, um, the smell will stay there and, and it can be pretty strong. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's another alternative. But ground covers, we're not talking about pets now, but um, there are many ground covers like Myporum. Um, yeah, love that. Yeah, I love that. It's actually in bloom right now. You'll find a lot of the um, commercial businesses, they'll use it in there instead of lawn now, which is really great um, because certain ground covers like that, Rubus is another. I mean, there's many, many, uh, Tony Aster. Um, these are ground covers like Lantana that they spread from one root source. Whereas if you use ground cover time, that um, every time it puts itself down, Lysmachia the same, you know, it has to, it roots again, which means you can't have weed barrier, which means until it fills in, you're going to have to keep weeding. Exactly. And that's one of the nice things when earlier we were talking about Carapia because it comes as a rollout sod. You don't have to wait for it to grow in. You roll right. it out, match it together. And within two weeks, once it, it uh, the roots uh, knit, and that means that they go down into the soil, there's no maintenance. You don't have to weed. You don't have to worry about weeds coming up because it, it's just rollout. It's like rolling out a carpet. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. However, I have found that it doesn't do so well in shade, even though they exactly. say I was going to say that they say it grows well, but it doesn't. But it doesn't. <laughs> the hotter it gets, the more sun it gives it, it, the better it does. You put it under shade and it looks it, it just it looks terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't do very well. So anyway, there's uh, there are those alternatives. But really, we need to start thinking in a much wider um, perspective as about where we live the state we live in, the climate we're living in, the, the constant wind we've been having, which even sucks more moisture out of the soil, right. and yeah. heat that we're, you know, buckling down for for the summer. In fact, we have summer now for almost, I don't know, five, six months, you know, so, so water is a precious commodity. We've always heard about it. You watch sci-fi movies and it's about, you know, water, but here we are. So the more you could do about it by choice, is the way to go. There are wonderful choices and there are designers like Michael and I that, you know, know how to install these and, um, and you'll be saving money. Most of the people, and I'll say this now, if you talk to landscape designers or contractors and they say, we can't get to you till August or September, guess what? No problem. 
the best time for planting is most likely late September, October for a fall planting. Right. And the one thing that I think that that over and over again, and every time you call, you say drought tolerance, zero escape, any of those things, people's first reaction when you say that to people is they're going to get a desert in their front yard. It's going to be sand. It's going to be rock. It's going to be one or two cactuses. They're going to have the Mojave Desert moved into their yard. And what people don't understand is drought tolerant doesn't, xeriscape doesn't mean you're going to have the Mojave de Desert. You're just going to use plants that need less water. They stay green. They're pretty. They're less maintenance. And they're going to, and they can bloom and give you lots of color. I mean, it's, um, it's it's not a hundred percent perfect for our environment. Is a plant called bougainvillea. It's um, Southern California where it doesn't get really cold. The problem with bougainvillea is not the heat. People say I would love to grow it, but it gets too hot. No, in fact, I've seen it in in environments where it gets hundred one hundred and twenty hundred and twenty five degrees during summertime. It loves heat. The more heat you can give it, what it doesn't like is when the temperatures get below thirty, it freezes. But I will tell you. There is nothing more vibrant and colorful than bougainvillea when it's blooming. And um, in fact, it's not really the flowers, it's, it's uh, the leaves. They're called bracts. But I mean, there are a lot of drought tolerant plants, um, Roberta mentioned lantana, that are so unbelievably colorful and continue to bloom and bloom and bloom and that don't need a lot of water. So you're not sacrificing, you're not going to get the Mojave Desert put into your yard. You can still have color galore and textures and interests and shades and everything by doing a drought tolerant landscape. And you know what else you're going to get? You're going to get healthy habitat. You're going to get butterflies and bees, you know, that are pollinators and the birds, you're gonna get all kinds of things. And remember, um, Sacramento is a great place to grow fruit, olives, hops, yep. and it's on a drip system versus sprays. Sprays, forget it. The water's gonna evaporate. It, it, they just don't work anymore for our climate. Unless you have sod, you need sprays, but you're wasting so much water. So even plants that aren't technically drought tolerant, let's say fruit trees, if they're put on a drip system, they're using much less water. You know, it's dripping deep down into the roots. And, you know, in the Middle East, Israel, um, in the Arab countries, they've turned these deserts into beautiful, um, well, that's sustainable, land, uh, not landscapes, but orchards. But they right. do it with drip irrigation. It's the only thing they can use. And Israel was one of the, the uh, developer, developers. In fact, I worked on a kibbutz that we planted avocado trees in the middle of the desert. And they, and exactly what Roberta said, they use drip irrigation. They use drip spray heads in each one of the avocados. And it's amazing how lush and how gorgeous these are growing in the desert and they don't use a lot of water. Same thing with olives, same thing with lavender. There's so many plants and fruit trees also. They're listed when you look, certain fruit trees are listed in the, they are not low water, they're medium water. But medium water is good compared to the high water like grass is. And, and there are certain really, really high water plants that, that you would like to use very sparingly or very, uh, or not at all. Yeah, actually fruit trees are kind of exempt from that we'll call, um, well, for the low water restrictions, if you're if you're putting in a new build house, 
only 25% of that landscape, and we're not talking where the house sits, we're talking around the house, can be sawed. So if you have, let's say, a quarter of an acre and you build a three, 4,000 square foot house, you have very little area for an actual lawn. That actually may change too with these new restrictions, but not if you use carapia. So when you want to put in fruit trees, they don't count that. That's not counted because it's sustainable. Right. So, and it's on a drip system. So um, I'm hoping that you get excited with the idea of, of transforming um, your yard. It's, it's almost like um, I once heard a story of this couple. They collected all kinds of things from where they traveled. And they had shells of, you know, porcelain things and this and that. And one night there was a large crash and they walked out and the shelves had fallen down and everything on there was busted. And the wife said, oh, my God. And the husband said, well, this gives us the opportunity to shop again. So <laughs> <laughs> so if you take out your lawn, think, hey, this is an opportunity to do something different, something colorful and beautiful and sustainable. So look at it that way instead of looking at it as if, you know, big Uncle Sam is coming down and restricting your water. What we're doing is we're trying to work together to have right. beautiful, sustainable landscapes and water that we can live with, you know? So, the, so the, the, the moral of the story is when you're given lem lemons, you make lemonade. You don't just throw the baby and the bathwater out. You think of a solution so that everyone thrives. That's right. And you know what? We grow really good lemons here in Sacramento. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I love lemonade, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we hope this is helpful. We hope it's given you a new, a different perspective on what's going on because there's always, um, there's always alternatives, and that's what we'd like to give to you and tell you how to do it. So. Yes, absolutely. So I'm Michael Glassman, and I'm Roberta Walker, and we are deep, deep, deep. Thanks for joining us.